your state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. Cade Warner shifts right. Shotgun look. First and goal. Martinez gives it off to Mills. He gets down to one. Leans. And they go up. Touchdown. One official says touchdown. Now they both do. It's a touchdown for Nebraska. Sports Nightly is presented by the NDOT Highway Safety Office, who reminds you to buckle up and put the phone down. Now let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Ben McLaughlin. Here we are on a Thursday night of Sports Highlight. Thank you so much for spending some of your evening with it, with us. Now I can say evening and look outside, and, and, and it is. It's dark out there with the time change this past weekend. Don't love that. But that's the way the world works, right? Coming up in the program tonight, we'll hear from the head coach. Our practice report coming up later on in this hour. He met with the media late morning. Last time he will be available until kickoff on Saturday against the Wildcats. Well, that for you, we'll have our Nebraska football show in hour number two, and this is going to be fun. We're going to have Barrett Root joining the program for an entire hour, the former Husker, former Husker black shirt, and now inside linebackers coach will be with us. So looking forward to talking to Coach Rude in hour number two. Get your comments, questions, texts ready for him. We're going to cover a lot of things with Coach Rude in hour number two. Our face-off returns tonight. It's the rubber match between Tim and Austin. Um, I I was busy this afternoon putting together some questions. I know Ben was as well. We're going to have some fun. The winner moves on. I think I'll volunteer Ben next to take on the winner. Is that will that will that work for next week? Winner versus winner. Is that how that works? Well, I don't know if it's that, but I mean, if you keep, it's kind of like make you know, if you're on the playground and you you're, you got your little team together. If you keep winning, you stay on the court. So. Whoever wins tonight between Austin and Tim can stay on the court and next man up, and I'll, I'll just volunteer. I'll jump in line next. All right. Very good. So, And then you get the winner uh, of that winner. Okay. <laughs> can we keep that straight? Yeah. Sure. I don't think it's that tough. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll have fun. I'm, I'm ready to give them these questions tonight, and I, I know you do, too. You get a kick out of putting putting these together. And if you want to be a part of the program, here are the numbers, 531-500-4686. That's either with a phone call or a text on our U.S. Cellular text line. Proud to be the official wireless sponsor of the Huskers, U.S. Cellular Connecting Husker Nation. Uh, sad, sad news, and Tim had it in the ticker, and the, the, the death of the Husker wrestler, there was a – Tragic car accident late last night in Lincoln uh, involving two young men, and one of those happened to be Christian Miller from uh, Plainview, Nebraska. He was a part of the Husker wrestling program for four seasons, two-time member of the Nebraska Scholar-Athlete Honor Roll. Um, I I woke up this morning, and there was on the the local news, uh, they were were on the scene of this accident. The car apparently got out of control, hit a tree, burst into flames before they could get – uh, the two gentlemen out of the car. And so just a tragic, tragic death and a statement from Bill Moose earlier today that our thoughts and prayers and support are with Christian Miller's family and friends during this very difficult time as an athletic department. We will do everything we can to help them through this immeasurable loss. We understand this tragedy will have a deep impact on our wrestling program, including Christian's teammates, Coach Manning, and his staff. We will provide any necessary support and resources for the young men in our wrestling program and other student athletes as they cope with the loss of a friend and a teammate. Just, just awful news to wake up to today. And 
I didn't know it was Christian Miller until mid-afternoon when Nebraska Athletics put that statement out today. But, man, Ben, it just kind of knocks you to your knees when you hear something like that. Yeah, heartbreaking. Uh, I didn't know Christian Miller, never met him. Um, but I think this, you know, brings me – I don't. I can't speak for anybody else, but brings me immediately back to the news on Sam Fultz and how we all felt when we lost Sam, um, mm-hmm. you know, and the way the two crashes were – you know, described seem pretty eerily similar to one another. Um, you know, you, you, you remember the type of healing and pain that the, the Husker community and the football program had with the loss of Sam and the Husker wrestling programs going through that right now, um, with Christian and, you know, your first thought is, you know, with his parents and with his family who, uh, weren't with him, you know, when, when he, when he, passed away and uh, you know received the news you know and however it was that they did and uh, how how their world has changed in the last 24 hours um, makes makes things like an election a football game and some other things seem pretty insignificant and just kind of those one of those life perspective moments for those that weren't directly affected that you know know of the situation so I'm hurting for his family. I'm hurting for the Husker wrestling team and Coach Manning and the athletic department because, you know, this is this is never an easy thing to deal with. And um, you know, now that you know that family's world's turned upside down, it's uh, it's it's you begin that healing process. Which I'm sure if you were to ask um, Sam Fultz's parents, it it just never. It, gets that much easier i mean you just you just learn to deal with it and you know hopefully that community uh in plain view and you know they will will rally around christian and his family and you know do everything they can to help that process go a little little smoother yep just awful awful news tim also in his ticker had the news that omar manning expected to play and you caught wind of this on social media last night that omar tweeted something that he was on the trip and ready to go. And I guess maybe if you want to look for benefits from not playing last week is that it gave this team program and guys like Omar Manning some more practice time to get themselves up to speed to be able to play. And also it looks like the anticipation is that Luke Reimer will be able to play as well at linebacker. Maybe the most anticipated newest Husker on this team is Omar Manning. And we probably should, uh, you know, not over, <laughs> over it hype this uh, and maybe don't pump your expectations too high but i know all of husker nation certainly willing or waiting has been waiting with bated breath to watch omar manning play some football i mean i think in terms of just physical skills and ability omar's probably at the top of the list on the football team of what he could potentially bring with everything that we've heard from our coaches say uh, to his junior college coaches, and, I mean, you just look at him. I mean, he's a physical freak the way that he's built. We haven't had very many in the program that look like him when they're put together. So this is a huge boost to the team. And, you know, for all the talk of lack of bodies on the outside, lack of downfield threat, I think having him on the field just by himself, just out there on the field, will provide that and and help guys like Wandale and Alante and even the tight ends, you know, help this this game this passing game and this scheme work a little bit better. And and that's not including what what he can actually do when the ball's thrown his way and the plays that he can make. I I, I mean I I'm eager to see him. I know you are. I know Husker fans are. 
what type of difference can he actually make other than just his presence on the field? What happens when the ball's thrown his way? What happens when, you know, there's a contested catch over the middle and he's battling a DB for it? We don't really know what, what that's going to look like. But the fact that he's ready to go automatically, I think, makes Nebraska a better team or at least, um, you know, could open some things up on the outside and, and what Coach Frost wants to do. Um, you know, as Coach said today, we, we recruited all these guys for a reason, and when they're all out there and they're up to speed, we're a better football team for it. So I'm I'm anxious to see five in, in white on Saturday, and I'm imagining everybody else's too because this is a – I mean, I'm trying to think back, Greg, to a first year of a player, as much anticipation as there's been around one guy on his first season – since I don't know when I can't think I can't think of the last guy in his first season that people will have the amount of expectations as they do for Omar I've got I've got one on the defensive side of the ball maybe not offense and that would be Randy Gregory because we we got eyes on him in the August practices leading up to that season and you couldn't take your eyes off Randy Gregory and you knew he was going to have a big impact but because practices have been closed because of COVID Nobody has, has any idea what Omar Manning's going to be able to do or can do, and so that's why it's it's a total it's a total mystery to all of us. Wyatt and Alma on our text line says, "Do you guys anticipate him being slowly worked into it or being a big impact?" We we don't know, Wyatt. I wish we could give you a, a better answer to that. Uh, that's why we're so anxious to see him out on the field and see what the plan is for him. Reports that we get are that he's, he's extremely talented and you didn't have to watch much of his tape, Ben, and the junior college ranks to see that, that this is a really talented player. Does that translate into success at the Big Ten level? Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. So we're just going to have to wait and see how this unfolds uh, on Saturday with Omar Manning. The best news is he's going to travel, did not travel to Ohio State, wasn't a part of that game plan, but now is. And uh, maybe that can stretch this thing out a little bit. We'll hear the comments from the coach about that coming up here in just a little bit. Every practice. We're going to work on it every single day until these guys master it. All season long. There's nothing better as an athlete than being part of something that's bigger than just yourself. And I think these guys are starting to feel that and we'll keep building it. It's time for a Husker football practice report on Sports Nightly. Brought to you by JTEC. Football is back, and soon the cold weather will be too. If your windows aren't ready for winter, call JTEC Construction, the official exterior experts of the Huskers, for a free estimate. Head coach Scott Frost meeting with members of the media today for a very brief session before sure was the Huskers take <laughs> off for Northwestern tomorrow. And obviously a lot of the attention today turned to what could potentially be Added help on the field, particularly at wide receiver. Coach Frost was started by asked asked about his first, uh, the newest group of wide receivers, the 2020 class, and where they're at, and that includes Omar Manning, his potential availability. Uh, yeah, those guys are close. I think the young receivers are doing a great job coming along. I think Coach Lubick's doing a good job bringing them along um, for a bunch of different reasons. I think they all got set back a little bit, whether it was a virus or an injury or an absence, um, but they're getting close. Um, Will Nixon's the one that was hurt in the spring, and we'd love to have him, but he's out for the year. Uh, I think the rest of the guys are, are getting better every day, and the old receivers are doing a good job of, of being good teammates and helping them and teaching them. Um, and, yeah, I think we'll have 
I think we'll have a role for, for some of those guys hopefully this week or soon after, and um, Omar's ready to play. Omar's ready to play. Those four words out of all the all mm-hmm. the, the soundbite right there, uh, burying the lead a little bit, but uh, that's probably the most important thing to hear in that in that clip. Yeah, it is. But I think it also – some of that applies to like Alante Brown, who got into the game late, made a catch against Ohio State, maybe even Marcus Fleming. Those guys are all part of that. 2020 class Xavier Betts I don't know that he's quite ready yet Uh, I know they like him but may not quite be ready yet but you're right you bury the lead there and and that's by but by design right that's the coach knows what they're getting at what they're trying to get him to say and he's just going to kind of fish around it but I'm I'm excited for all those we've heard Elante Brown might be the fastest guy in this football team that's certainly a guy that could go off the top of the defense and stretch the field down the field. Omar Manning's just a physical freak. Marcus Fleming, great credentials coming out of high school. I think all three of those guys can be big parts of this football team moving forward. No question. Well, he was asked to elaborate a little bit on what Omar Manning's skill set is, and the second not related at all, but the second part to this question was about Luke Reimer dealing with a bit of a, uh, an ankle injury. So, um, going on two different tangents here in this gut. First, elaborating on Omar's skill set. For all those young about- guys, it's a matter of just being here, being here consistently and continuing to learn. And like I said, um, through kind of sometimes not their fault, they just haven't been able to get the reps and get the experience. But um, when those guys are around, we recruited them for a reason. They're talented. So uh, they just need to keep learning and keep getting more consistent. Uh, Luke Reimer's a guy that I've been impressed with since the first day he stepped onto campus. Um, he had a little bit of an ankle. Uh, expect him to be fine Saturday and ready to go. Going to be a big help against a team like Northwestern who will pound the ball right at you and yeah. a place where Nebraska is pretty thin. They are going to go at you. you got Bowser. you got Anderson. They'll rotate those backs. Even Hole may get some carries for Northwestern. They're a little bit – their offense is not all that dissimilar – to Ohio State, Ben, it's kind of a power spread. They'll spread you out, but they want to get, they want to run the football, and that's fits. I mean, that doesn't doesn't matter who his offensive coordinator is. He wants to have a physical football team that can run the ball, and so they're going to stick with it. Even when they got behind at Iowa last week, they still ran the ball 53 times against the Hawkeyes. They're not going to give up on that running game, and so your inside backers are going to have to play quite a bit. And the other thing that's different when I watch tape and watch that game with Iowa is that they're utilizing the tight end quite a bit. That John Rain, number zero, this is the first year college players can wear the number zero. John Rain uh, from FAU, a transfer from FAU, uh, has five catches already in two games. So they're, they'll leak him out over the middle as well. So, But those inside backers are going to get a workout. And Reimer, I think, will be in that rotation along with Honus and Miller. Uh, kind of a, a no, no-brainer answer for the coach to this next question. He asked if it helps having Luke Reimer in, in, the, in the linebacker rotation. Yeah, it helps. Uh, that, that's one spot where we don't have a, a ton of depth, so we have to make sure we stay healthy and um, be nice to be able to rotate those guys and have uh, several good players that can go in. Of course, it helps having more players than less players. <laughs> less players. I mean, yeah, obviously it's going to help help that uh, that situation of linebacker when you have an extra body. Coach Frost was asked about how ready this team is to play after not playing last week and having another week to prepare with a bit of a distraction on Tuesday with with the voting day. How ready is this team to play? 
Yeah, I think we're ready to play. We're prepared, uh, so we're ready. Um, would have been nice to have another game under our belt, you know. Um, I, like I said, I think last press conference, if this was game five or six, maybe missing a game and having extra time prepared would be an advantage. Uh, we need to play. It's hard to get better as a football team if you're not on the field playing. Um, you know, we missed a bowl game last year, unfortunately, so we missed a bunch of practices. We missed spring ball. Um, we're in November and we haven't had a home game yet, and this is only game two, so it's just been unusual circumstances. But um, our guys are as ready to to play as I know how to make them. Yeah, obviously, with the amount of practice that they've had in the in the off season um, and even in season, while everybody else is playing, teams just ready to play an opponent. Um, anything in particular that this group needs to do well on offense against Northwestern to be successful? Is there any one thing or is it uh, a lot of different things that will contribute to Nebraska's offensive success? Well, you got to account for their good players and their good scheme, their good coaching. Um, they're sound. They don't give you anything easy. You have to earn it. So uh, we just have to execute well. Uh, there's no real secret to beat in Northwestern. I think you have to block, tackle, run routes, get open, cover, um, and and try to limit your mistakes because um, they're probably going to limit theirs. So it, it's just a matter of having fun playing football and, and executing and playing a smart game. Yeah, I don't think any secret there. I mean, I'm, I'm sure Northwestern gets sick of hearing about it every time that they play an opponent every week. Coach says – Similar things about their program. Um, just can't beat yourselves, which is something Nebraska's done entirely too much. And then uh, Coach Frost wrapped it up today by asked was asked to assess the play of his defensive line against Ohio State up front and what he liked about that group, expecting another pretty stiff challenge um, against Northwestern, who will like to try and pound the ball at you on Saturday. No, I thought we played solid on both lines, um, even though the score wasn't what we wanted. Um, I felt like we held our own and sometimes sometimes won, won, sometimes didn't. But I was a good athletic team we played, and I was impressed with how we played on both lines. Um, thought it was a major step forward for us, uh, especially after getting pushed around by Ohio State the year before. Um, was really impressed with some of the young guys on both sides that came in and, and looked like they belonged. So. Uh, again, that's where added games will give them more experience and kind of fast track their development. But um, I was pleased with what I saw from offensive and defensive line. Got to hold really up good that test. Un- yeah, yeah. You got to hold up both ends of that every week in the Big Ten because you're not going to play a lot of just really weak offense and defensive lines. I think that the bar the the bar is set by Ohio State. But I don't know that there's just a huge, huge drop-off when you play Northwestern along the lines. Uh, they do have a couple of new guys that haven't played a bunch along the offensive line, but their defensive front's pretty stout. and um, It's a challenge, and I, there's no secret to Northwestern. I think Scott Frost put it pretty pretty effectively there, just saying you, you can't make mistakes and beat good football teams, and this is a good football team. Forget that they were 3-9 and nine last year. That was a, an odd year for – Northwestern football. They're not a 3-9 and nine program year in and year out. Now they've, they've tweaked things. They've got a new OC. They have a new quarterback, transfer quarterback, who can run what they want to do. So this will be an incredible challenge. Hey, Huskers are underdogs in this game. I mean, it, it, Huskers haven't won many games recently as they've been an underdog on the road. So if they could go get this one, Ben, this one would make you feel really good. If by Saturday, 
at 3 o'clock. You and Jeremiah are wrapping up the fifth quarter, and it's a Husker win. We're all going to feel good. Yeah, what, what have we won? One road game with, with Coach Frost? I mean, it's – Illinois? Yeah, sure hasn't been a lot of, of W's on the road. So, right. yeah, I mean, Maryland. I said earlier – Oh, that's In true. Maryland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah, I said. I, I mean, I said it doesn't matter if it's a half a point or fifty points. Just find a way to get a win and move on and get some positive mojo going uh, for Penn State next week. Pat Fitzgerald won his one hundredth game as Northwestern's head coach when they beat Maryland, so he's one hundred one. Um, stability. That when I think of Northwestern, you think of stability because he's been there and put his imprint on that program. Same thing can be said about Iowa with Kirk Ferentz. When you have those programs where their coaches have been there a long time and they've had a great deal of success, you know you're going to get a pretty sound product, and that's what you have in those two programs. And, and I know some people get tired of because people seem to have kind of a crush, for the lack of a better term, on Pat Fitzgerald, but he's done a heck of a job at a place that it's not easy to win because of the academic standards that they have there. His overall record is 101-79. and So he is 22 games over 500 at a school that has very little football success in their history. He has just done a really good job, and he rolls out there week after week a well-coached, sound football team, and that's what Nebraska is going to see on a, on a Saturday. You're right, it wasn't overly long, but I think the coach is kind of like, what are we going to talk about? We, I, this is like the third or fourth one he's done since the Ohio State game. You're like, I need something new to like, – you said it last night. We're all dealing with four quarters of data points is all we have to talk about with this Husker team. Yeah, we're all just ready to see him play again, and I know the, the players and the coaches are ready to be out there competing again. People are probably sick of hearing it, but we're sick of saying it. So. Yeah. I mean, I'm ready to I'm ready to see what this team looks like against Northwestern and just start to get a, some kind of regularity on uh, what this year may look like. Great to have the former black shirt and now inside linebackers coach Barrett Rue with us here tonight. How, how are you? How you doing? This has been such a wild, wacky year of 2020. How you holding up? I'm surviving, man. It's, <laughs> uh, you said it, Greg. It's a, it's been a strange year, and I think. Uh, Everybody's kind of just in survival mode. Um, you know, I think you, 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 everybody's probably been frustrated in how this year's played out with not just, you know, sports, obviously, but uh, in, in all aspects of lives. Um, but, you know, hey, I'm hanging in there and uh, taking it day by day. And uh, as routine-oriented person that I am, uh, I've had to definitely adjust that because once you think something's set in stone, it's going to change. Uh, but, hey, I'm adjusting and, and trying to make the most of it. Well, we do have a text line this year, and so we're going to go to that with a question right out of the gate. It's from John in Omaha. He says, with the cancellation of the Wisconsin game, what were the conversations like inside the coach's room and how to keep the team engaged? Again, that's John in Omaha. <laughs> yeah, John, that's uh, it was interesting. I'll say that at the very least. So, n- number one, I mean, I was exhausted because, um, you know, they canceled it. I believe it, I was meeting with my guys going over red zone and, and uh, short yardage situations on Wednesday morning, right about 8 o'clock probably, that uh, uh, Jared Lambrick, the chief of staff, knocked on the door and says, hey, we got a team meeting in about 10 minutes. And I said, well, that's probably not going to be very good. Um, <laughs> so then we found out I got canceled. So that was after we, you know, had worked for three days putting the game plan in. And, uh, you know, after that, um, in all honesty, we, it was, there was a lot of uncertainty. We didn't know, number one, if it was for sure going to be a cancellation, if the Big Ten would allow it. Then we didn't know if we were going to be able to get a replacement game. We heard of about three to four different teams that were possible replacement games. Then we had to wait and see, well, would uh, the Big Ten allow that? 
So we wouldn't know anything about a replacement game until the following Thursday, at least mid-morning. Um, so it was, it was uh, in all honesty, kind of exhausting. And then on top of that, that was just us kind of complaining about ourselves. And we, we had to get our, our players, uh, get their minds right. And, and, and honestly, to, in, to the credit of, of our players, they really did a good job of handling it. I don't know if I would have handled it as well as them, but you know, they, they got their minds right. They, uh, they came out and had two pretty good practices on, uh, on Friday and Saturday after we knew we weren't going to be playing. Um, so they, they did a good job of coming around and, you know, basically just getting back to reality. Cause it's, it's been a strange, strange year and, um, nothing's been normal about this season and our guys, uh, have really handled it about as well as they could have. Well, let's go back to the game you did get to play two weeks ago against an incredibly talented team in Ohio State. How did you feel like your unit held up in that game? Uh, I've had we've had people and callers who said they felt like for Will Honus might have might have been his best game as a Husker. How did you grade your guys out? Yeah, I thought they were pretty solid. Um, you know, like you said, Ohio State, um, a very good football team, well coached. Uh, good players across the board. Um, definitely have a special quarterback in Justin Fields. He was one of the better ones that um, I know I've been around on, on the college level for sure. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I thought our guys played really well. You know, I thought they tackled well. I thought they were in the right place. The communication was very on point. Um, you know, we needed to find some way to make one other, you know, uh, really what we were missing probably from our group was just a turnover. Um, you know, I, I know Will had a couple sacks. Uh, Colin had a TFL. He had 10 tackles. Um, communicated great running the show. Uh, probably the only thing missing was a turnover somehow, some way. Um, because against teams like that, you know, you have to get you have to get short fields and you have to get uh, find a way to get quick points on teams like that. Um, and he, at the end of the day, they won the turnover battle, which uh, ultimately cost us the game. But I, I thought as a group, we uh, did a pretty good job overall. Very good. Let's go to the phones for Coach Rude. Let's head over to Iowa. Jordan, you're up first tonight with the coach. Awesome. Hey, uh, Coach Rude, real quick. Um, I remember uh, uh, Thanksgiving when I was a young kid, my Aunt Mike, we would uh, always watch the Nebraska-Colorado game, which when I was young kind of groomed me into being a huge Husker fan still to this day. But, uh, hey, real quick, um, what are your thoughts? I know all I really hear about is the color commentating about the targeting calls and how it's um, not right for the young players and stuff like that. And the penalties are kind of too strict, but what are your thoughts on that as well as how do you guys prepare for the next game? Um, You know, when obviously we've got two of our starters are going to, you know, miss until halftime. So you can just kind of talk about that, please. Yeah, Jordan, that's a great question. Um, you know, obviously, and, and I'm sure, you know, I think the the commentators, because uh, I, I heard the replay of it, um, I thought they did a good job of explaining it. I mean, in all reality, the way the game's going, it's really hard to play defense at times now. Um, at the same time, it doesn't do us any good to just complain about it because, you know, we got to coach our guys uh, to find a way to not get those penalties. Because uh, just like you said, we got two really good football players that can't play the first half um, of this upcoming game. Now, uh, part of that question I think you asked was, uh, I do think what I would complain about is that I think the penalties are too harsh. Um, I understand targeting. I understand that you're trying to make the games as safe as possible. Um, and defensive backs, in all honesty, they get the short end of the stick. 
Um, it is what it is, and we got to continually coach that. I know we work strike zone tackles a lot, um, trying to find that that sweet spot area where you can strike and be physical, um, not hit a guy too high, not hit a guy too low. Um, at the same time, I don't think it's right that a guy misses part of a game for a judgment call. Um, sometimes there's an egregious penalty. I understand that, but I don't think they should be missing games for a, a, a judgment call. Um, however, you know we, we definitely do a lot with uh, trying to trying to control uh, our, the target uh, area that we're hitting guys in. And I know it's really hard to do when guys are going at that speed across the middle. Um, but you know Deontay, he he led with his shoulder. I think the the biggest coaching point is try to try to go maybe a, a foot lower than you think you have to. Um, maybe try to get your feet in the ground, you know, and not leave your feet at all when you're tackling. But um, you know, as far as that goes, man, that's about as much as you can do. And then um, as far as you know, not having the guys in the first half, you know, everybody is taught to prepare like you're going to be a starter. Um, you know, not saying I like to give a bunch of lessons about when I played, but I had a game with the Houston Texans where I thought I was not playing in a game until 11 o'clock a.m. on Sunday morning, and they told me I was up, probably wasn't going to play even though I was going to dress, and then two plays later, a starter gets hurt, and I play 80 snaps. So we, we really make it a point to have our guys prepare like they're going to be starters, and now um, with guys that are going to be out um, for a half, you know, those guys, they, they know they're going into a game, they're going to be starters. So a um, little extra incentive for them to, to really uh, prepare. But um, our guys have done a good job of being very consistent in, in that preparation. Jordan, thanks for the call. Good question. Buckle up and put the phone down. A reminder from NDOT Highway Safety Office. Back to our text line, Stephen Carney for you, Coach. How does a 3-4 versus a 4-3 scheme affect the inside backers? Well, you know, what's interesting uh, is 3-4 and 4-3, uh, <laughs> with, with the way offenses are anymore, it's becoming a little bit um, a little bit oblivious just because we're not, we're not even, for us, getting a chance to be in our 3-4 a whole lot. Um, you know, 3-4 for us anymore has is, is become much more of a base uh, personnel grouping. So that's, you know, for, for you guys watching, you know, two tight ends, uh, two backs, um, those sort of offenses. Um, so we're actually in four down looks a lot more. Uh, I, I would say there's honestly not a whole lot of difference. Um, the run fits uh, are slightly different. Um, you know, instead of um, all the defensive linemen being shaded in actual gaps, they're now sh they're on top of bodies. So they're playing right down the middle of bodies. But for the linebackers, um, you just got to get a little bit. Uh, little bit of a different understanding of how the runs are going to fit up and how different teams are going to attack you versus those fronts but coverage wise it's the exact same and uh you know I, I honestly a lot of the four three principles that I learned when I was playing you know are, are still applied to the three four principles we use now I, I don't know the final snap count in the Ohio State game but how many of those what percentage would you say you had both of your inside guys on the field I think we play the entire game, uh, actually, with, with two inside linebackers. Yeah, so we, we always have two inside linebackers on the field. Every now and then, um, you know, third and long type situations, we may go to a what we call a dime personnel, which you got uh, six defensive backs in the game. Um, but, yeah, we, we, we have two defensive uh, – two linebackers in the game, uh, two inside linebackers in the game, uh, the majority of the snaps. 
and you were down one with Luke Reimer not being able to go against Ohio State. You have used a three-man rotation primarily your first two years. Uh, Coach Frost indicated today he thought that the week off might have helped Luke and get him ready to go for this week. Yeah, that that part did. He he probably would have been able to play for Wisconsin, but he was close. Um, but I think that extra week off really has helped him. Um, you know, he rolled an ankle uh, really the week before we went to play Ohio State, so it uh, took him a little while to get that back and, and and confident moving around on it. But he's he's pretty much good to go on that ankle now. So that was the one benefit of not playing last week is he uh, he was able to heal up a little bit more. Coach, I know he has now been put on scholarship. Were you a part of, of that news that got delivered to him? Uh, I was, yeah. Coach Frost was able to kind of tell him first, um, but I, I, I was uh, right there afterwards, and I told him, I said, hey, you could have uh, – you could have held me hostage really early if you wanted to. You said, if, I, if I'm going to leave, I said, hey, I'll, I'll find a way to get you a scholarship because I knew after about his first individual drill back in uh, uh, August of last year that he was going to be a scholarship guy because he's a, he's a very talented athlete, um, You know, probably was a little bit under the radar uh, at, at Lincoln North Star because he played so many positions. Um, and uh, when he got here, he, he was just a natural at the inside linebacker spot, and uh, I think he's really going to have a, a good future. We're hearing some good things about a young Lincoln Southeast Knight, Isaac Gifford, making some some moves. I know he's not in your position group, but uh, you worked with with uh, his older. When you were here with his older brother, was a part of the Husker program. You're probably not surprised. Those Knights tend to ride high, don't they? Oh, uh, I, I, you know, I'm pretty biased towards that group over there, <laughs> Lincoln Southeast Knights. I got a lot of Knight pride in me. Uh, but no, Isaac's done great, um, and honestly. Uh, no surprises from from me because I, I knew what kind of worker he was. Uh, he was already a good athlete. He comes from a football family. I mean, his older brother's playing for the Cowboys right now. Um, so he he understands the game, understands how to work. And, and usually those are the guys that get on the field earliest or guys that um, can process information, uh, understand how to work on a daily basis. Uh, and, and Isaac's going to be a good football player for us. Oscar's getting set to travel to Evanston, Illinois to take on the Northwestern Wildcats on Saturday, 11 o'clock kickoff. Inside linebackers coach and former Blackshirt Barrett Rue with us until the top of the hour. If you want to be a part of the show, 531-500-4686. You can dot us up with a comment or question or fire off a text. And let's go to the text line again. Sean's for you, Coach. Who do you see as a young dark horse for playing time in your group? Uh, dark horse, you know, I don't know if there's any dark horses. I I'm pretty happy with, uh, the way my room's starting to shape up, you know, obviously Colin and Will are seniors. They've had a lot of experience. They've played some football for us. Um, Luke Reimer is definitely an up and coming guy. Um, young kid, um, who's only going to get better and better. Um, Nick Henrich, uh, is a really good football player. Um, has had a little bit of a needed outside linebacker. So he's actually stepped up and had to play multiple positions for us. Um, but he could play all four linebacker positions if he needed to. Um, Garrett Snodgrass is, uh, you know, coach's kid from York who really understands football. Um, really bright kid um, can play all the spots as well. Um, Va Magua, um, JC transfer. He's really um, high energy player, a natural football player, um, and he's really starting to pick up the system as well uh, too. So. We got we got some definitely got some guys that are um, going to be able to contribute uh, throughout the year and, and everybody's number at some point is going to get called with um, you know I guess not eight straight Big Ten games anymore now we're going to have six straight hopefully um, you know that's a uh, 
that's a tough schedule, and, and this conference is very physical, so we're going to have to have a lot of guys that are able to step up and play. Very good. Hey, Justin in Omaha next on our text line. Hey, Coach, favorite memory as a Husker player, and glad that you're on the staff. Keep up the good work. You got a fond memory? Well, well you, to tell you what, it's, t- it's tough for me to pick out one. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I, I definitely think uh, one of the cooler moments, at least while I wasn't uh, on the field, was – uh, and by on the field, I mean playing on, on defense, but on the sideline, maybe the coolest one was with the uh, uh, Crouch uh, touchdown pass from Mike Stunts to kind of beat Oklahoma was a pretty cool moment, I guess. Um, but, you know, in all honesty, I, I just loved my whole experience here. I, I loved from the time I got here as a freshman um, to when I left as a senior. I mean, I really enjoyed my time. I, I liked every aspect of being a football player. So um, I, it, it's hard for me to pick out a moment. Um, but man, I, I just enjoyed my time uh, playing, and it's really cool now that I'm I'm back here coaching at my alma mater uh, to see these players going through the same things. Coach Barry with us until the top of the hour. You were rattling off some names of guys in your room. I think you may be as deep now as you've been in the three years you've been here. Let's let's look to the future. What's the number you've been given to add bodies to that room as you look into that 2021 class? And we're only about seven weeks away from that signing day in December. What what number are you looking at for your room? Uh, it looks like probably three. Um, okay. But at the same time, some of those guys are going to have some versatility as well. But, um, you know, we currently got three inside linebacker recruits um, um, who I, I'm excited about every one of those guys, uh, you know, current commits. Um, but, you know, at the at also, you know, I think uh, going forward, you know, you're always just looking for, for good football players. And that, that's the biggest thing. So, um, you know, we're excited just to keep, uh, you know, keep trying to find good football players who uh, love the game and are good people. And, and that's what we're looking for. Very good. Coaches with us, 531-500-4686. If you want to fire off a text or give us a phone call here on our Husker Football Coaches Show, you know why I was talking with Coach Frost after the Ohio State game about how different the prep might be going from the Buckeyes to the Badgers, two completely different styles of offense. Where would Northwestern fit in that needle? Maybe more toward like Ohio State set? I mean, obviously everybody has their own wrinkles and different looks, but but talk about preparing for the Wildcats. You know, uh, they hired a new offensive coordinator this past year um, who was uh, at Boston College the, the previous year, um, and, and he's implemented a lot of a good staples in their, in their offense. Um, you know, a very good bootleg team, very good play-action team. Um, based off their personnel at, at Boston College, they were much more uh, of a big, a big person team, 12 personnel, 21 personnel with really big running backs. Um, Northwestern, just based off the personnel that they've had over the last few years, they've traditionally been a little bit more of a spread team. Um, so he's playing with a little bit more 11 personnel uh, groupings, but he's got a couple tight ends. He's got a good group of backs, and then the, their transfer quarterback from Indiana uh, is a good player as well. So um, the, they've done a nice job transitioning to a new system on offense. You know, that, that's the thing that Fitz has been there a long time as their head football coach, really loyal guy to his staff. I know it was a big shakeup for him to make a move at OC. And they, they throw at us a quarterback we saw a year ago in Peyton Ramsey, who played for Indiana last year and played in the game in Lincoln. I'm sure you remember that game pretty well. Yeah, unfortunately I do. And he, he did a good job against us. And, and, and their, their coordinator's done a nice job of, um, you know, you could tell that he studied um, – his previous uh, 
his previous uh, seasons at Indiana because a lot of the, his good concepts that, that he was running at Indiana, um, they're also running at Northwestern. And, and I think that that tied into, um, you know, what he was doing already. But, um, you know, very good play action team. Um, Ramsey was a good, uh, you know, bootlegging quarterback, uh, movement quarterback. Um, so he does a nice job uh, from that end of it. You know, Bear, the success for inside backers a lot of times is how well are the guys up front occupying blocks. Big turnover there. You don't have the Davis Twins, and Darian Daniels was so good a year ago. Well, what's been your evaluation, and what did you see from that group in the Ohio State game to maybe let your guys flow a little bit more to the football? Yeah, they did a nice job. You know, uh, like you said, we had a very uh, senior-driven defensive line group last year with uh, the Davises and um, uh, Darian Daniels. Um, so uh, replacing those guys was, you know, it's, it's always difficult when you replace seniors that have played a lot of football. But um, we got some young guys in there. They're doing a nice job. Ben Stilley's a veteran guy who's played a lot. Um, Damian Daniels, uh, Darian's brother, uh, is a big body, uh, you know, does a good job of, of stuffing up the run game in the interior core. Um, Ty Robinson's going to be a guy that I think is going to be a really, really good player for a long time here. Um, he was a, a, one of our biggest recruits from the 2019 class. Casey Rogers is a really good football player, very versatile player for us. So we got a good group up front that, um, you know, they're, they're doing a good job. Coach Tuyo, he does a nice job coaching those guys up. So uh, we're, we're excited about them. Back to our text line. This is DJ, grew up in Lincoln, now lives in Kansas. Back to the targeting coach. Are players taught to lead with arms, looking to wrap up instead of uh, like a missile? <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and I, the, what we teach is we teach strike zone tackles. Now, what's really hard is when you're going to break up a ball, um, and, I, and, I, and we've went over every angle of this thing, you know, one of the negatives is when you're going at that high speed trying to truly break up a ball, if you're always looking to wrap up, a lot of times what happens is your head starts ducking. Um, and, and Deontay's targeting, he really was making an effort to try to keep his head out of it. Um, which is which is an emphasis, you know. We're we're trying to keep the head out of the game now. Um, we, we, yes, you'd love to see a little bit more rap, but at the same time, you're always trying to uh, accomplish striking somebody through the designated area. Um, and you know, the the whole thing, leaving your feet. Yeah, you're trying to time it up as good as you can, um, and you're trying to be ball aware. I think more than anything too. So those those are really hard to control, in all honesty. And I don't always have great answers because. Uh, you know, sometimes you, you all of a sudden you start wrapping up, then you leave with your head. You start going too low. You're starting to take out knees. Um, it, it's tough. It's tough to play defense right now. We, we consistently work those strike zone tackles, um, but especially for defensive backs coming coming across the middle, it really is. It's difficult. You just, more than anything, you have to have a mindset to go about a foot lower than you think you need to go. All right, you played in a 105,000-seat stadium with maybe – a thousand people in the stands. Well, first of all, how bizarre was that? And how did you feel like your team handled kind of getting their own juice going? Yeah, it was. It was pretty bizarre. Uh, and I'm actually, I don't know if I'm say looking forward, but it's going to be very, very interesting to see that same atmosphere in Memorial Stadium. Just no fans there because I've I've been going to games in Memorial Stadium since I was five years old in 1988, and uh, it's it's never been anything but sold out. So. To play a game when it's empty uh, is really going to be strange, and and you know, our, our guys did a good job. And in all honesty, once football starts, football is football. But um, it's definitely weird when you can hear everything out in the field. Um, and like you said, the crowd—it it, is—it it really does play to the momentum swings. Um, 
And, and I don't think at the end of the day plays a huge factor in the in the outcomes of games, but um, there's definitely uh, – you, you do miss that juice, that energy that the crowd provides. They did play kind of a low murmur. Did you notice that at all? It was I didn't really – up in our booth, I didn't really notice it hardly at all. A little bit. Uh, more than anything, I, I noticed there there was some piped-in crowd noise on big plays. Yeah. Because um, it was about, about a two- or three-second delay. So that's why you noticed it, uh, which was a little bit awkward. But, um, you know, in all honesty, after that part, especially on the road, um, it wasn't quite as big of a deal. But now uh, now when you start going to uh, home games as a defensive player and a defensive coach, that's where you're really going to miss the crowd because on defense, when the crowd can really make noise, it really does affect uh, an opposing offense. And they got to make checks. Um, and the crowd's going nuts. Uh, defensive players, more than anything, really feed off of that energy. How's your Zoom game? You've probably been doing a lot of Zooms, haven't you, over the last seven, eight months, particularly in recruiting? Yeah, I'll tell you what, since uh, I don't know what it was, the end of March, I, I, I don't know how many Zoom calls I've done, not only to my players, but to recruits. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's, it's becoming very much a part of, uh, of everyday life now. So I, I've done a lot of Zooms. Um, you know, I think it's it's definitely a tool that's not going to go away either. Um, but at the same time, I'm, I'm also excited for the day when I don't have to really when I know I don't have to do a Zoom call. So that that'll be nice. Right. How have your how have how's your guys in your room handled just being disciplined away from the complex and not putting themselves at risk to maybe come across somebody where they could get the virus? I'm sure you've had a lot of talks with them about don't get yourself in a crowded situation. Don't. Don't put yourself where some you know you could pick this thing up and jeopardize your season. What what have those conversations been like, and how do you feel like your guys have handled them themselves? Yeah, I think they've done a great job because uh, you know I, I I've been in college before, and I know that uh, you know as an eighteen to twenty one year old kid, I mean you know you you like being social and you like seeing people around campus, and it's just a time where you know you, you basically just got to tell them, hey, you, you have to devote. Uh, about two months of your life to just truly be in a hermit. I mean, you, you just can't do much. Um, you know, <laughs> I've had to be the same way. You know, it's easy for me now because I got a family and I got little kids anyway that, that keep me inside. But, you know, it's really hard when you're a 21 year old kid to, to not be social because that's, yep. that, that's what you, that's what you go to college for. So um, I give our guys credit for really uh, buckling down. And, and, and kind of like I said, you're just kind of devoting two months of your life solely to football and academics and, you know, get through the season and, and, and then you can go out and, and see people uh, a little bit more than you do now. But it's, you know, like you said, you just have to kind of bite the bullet and, and not do very much during the season. Muhammad Barry was such a good leader for you. He was he was also maybe one of the harder workers on the team. Who, who has assumed that mantle since uh, he's departed? I'd say Colin Miller has. You know, he, he was elected a, a captain by his teammates. Um and he, he really has done a good job, not only um, leading by example, but leading vocally, too. Um, and, and that's a skill. You know, not everybody has the ability to lead vocally. And, um, you know, he has he has the intelligence and he has the demeanor. And, and then he backs it up with, with how he works every day. So uh, he's really done a nice job with the leadership uh, portion of it. And that's, you know, as an inside linebacker, you have to have that ability, too, because you're the primary communicator on defense and uh 
and he's really stepped up in, in that regard. I was going to expound on that a little bit more for the audience about the way the signals get sent in. Does everybody just look to the sideline and, and interpret it their own way, or does one guy kind of grab control and bark it out for everybody? How, how do you guys handle that? Yeah, there really aren't any huddles anymore. With the way yeah. offenses are fast-paced and um, you know the tempo situations, really defenses don't huddle anymore. Um, so you know, in the old days, it was always the middle linebacker, like the quarterback in the offense. When there were huddles on both sides, they got the call, they told everybody else the call, and then it went forward. Where now, everybody has to know the signals, everybody has to get a call. But once they get that call, somebody has to direct how the defense is going to be set up. And usually that's, um, you know, most often reliant through the the inside linebackers and then uh, on the back end, the safeties. Yeah. What, what Were you in charge of that when you played? How much of that did you do? Yeah, I was. And, and you know, in the NFL, um, you know, you can wear a, a wireless, uh, you know, communicator, basically a, essentially a radio inside your helmet. One guy is designated as the, the signal caller. So I wore that dot when I played. Um, so, and then that's back when, you know, there were, there were huddles back then as well. So that's how we communicate. They didn't have to have signals all the time. It was, um, you know, one guy got the call and he relayed it to everybody else. Um, but same thing, you know, when I was playing, um, I was the primary, um, signal caller. Once, once we got the play as well, I had to set the defense up and make the, uh, you know, the, the checks accordingly. I kind of miss the huddles, Barrett. I'll be honest with you. And and it's very rare. You'll see it every now and then. You're like, whoa, what, what are they doing there? Oh, yeah, it's the old huddle that they're doing. It's crazy. Yeah, Wisconsin. I mean, they were going to be a team. We yeah. had to actually talk to our guys about, like, hey, this is going to be a lot slower than you're used to. So we may not get a call every five seconds. You can sit there for a second and actually catch your breath. So it is. It's, you know, it's, it's, there aren't many teams that truly huddle up anymore in college football. And when you do get one that does, it does. It feels like everything's taking a long time. Right. I don't football goes in cycles. I don't know that I see that cycling back. I don't know that we'll ever get back to where you see teams huddle up anymore. Yeah, I, it's 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 going to be interesting. I, I do know this though. It, it slows the game down a lot and mm-hmm. it, it chews up a lot of clock. And one thing as a defensive coach, you don't mind seeing that clock uh, yeah. get chewed up a little bit. That's always a good thing when your you, when your defense you, is chilling on the bench. You still see it quite a bit in the NFL. They're still yeah. doing that. A lot of teams are still doing that in the NFL, but certainly in the college game, it is a real rarity. Oh, hello. How are we doing tonight, guys? Great. Thank you. Doing great. Uh, hey, Coach Rude. First, first of all, I'd like to uh, really express my uh, thanks for you coming on board and being a, a part of the Huskers uh, coaching staff. Uh, you definitely played like a fifty caliber Barrett, and uh, you were definitely rude when you hit people, and we loved it. And we used to sit behind our TVs and go, rude. <laughs> Tell my players that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, hey, uh, my question for you is, out of all your experiences, you know, going through high school, going through uh, being a Cornhusker, and even into the NFL, how do you um, – try to use uh, what you've learned to help your linebackers develop that natural instinct, which you showed all the way through your career, just that like innate ability to be around the football and, and being able to pick up on things. And it's just a real treasure for them to be able to have a guy like you to learn from. And I'll hang up and listen to you. Very excited for the game. Go big red. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, you know, I tell you what, it, it, there is some innate ability uh, to be able to find the ball. And, and what I mean by that, Tom, is, you know, 
sometimes, you know, you have a certain gap, but you just know the play is not going that way and, and you can abort your gap and you get to the ball. Um, you still take care of your own job, but you're, you're helping out somebody else. Um, there is a little bit of an innate ability to that. Um, as far as teaching, um, you know, what I've tried to do is I just try to teach um, all of the concepts that I thought helped me the most as a player. And I kind of try to not uh, kind of ignore the ones that I didn't like. Um, and, and really what I think is important is, you know, you got to find out how each individual guy learns the best. Um, some guys learn by walking through. Some guys learn by showing them on the video. Some guys learn by, by you know, getting on the board and drawing stuff out. Um, but the key is, you know, when you're coaching, all you are is a teacher. Um, and, you know, if you've played the game and played the game well, um, it really only matters if you can explain to somebody else how to do it. And uh, that's, that's really what I focus on now is, you know, even less so than maybe just learning new, new defensive terms or new X's and O's is what, what's the best way to teach guys. Um, because it really doesn't matter what, how much I know, it's how much they know. So I, I try to, you know, take pick and choose concepts that, that I thought uh, made the most sense to me. Um, and, and I try to explain it in a way that uh, each of those guys can understand. Text line, Justin in Omaha. Coach, after watching Northwestern's first two games, what's the best plan of attack for that offense and the mobility of the quarterback? Yeah, you got to be really good. Um, number one, just understanding your, your rules and your concepts within the defense. Um, they're a good bootleg team, so with bootlegs, you got to have rules. <clears throat> who's handling crossers? Who's handling the the ball to the flat? Who's pulling up the quarterback? Um, <clears throat> you got to be very disciplined uh, in your run pass keys. They're a good play action team, um, so you know you got to know situations. When do they like to go, uh, to do play action shots? Uh, you got to be able to get good drops, get to your landmarks and zones, have your eyes on your man if you got man coverage. Um, and then in the run game, they do a good job of using what I like to call window dressing. So window dressing is um, pre-snap shifts and motions. Uh, they do that to try to screw with your eyes. They, they try to yep. get your eyes in the wrong spot. Um, so you got to be really good at understanding your own defense and, and be able to adjust to those pre-snap uh, snap shifts and motions and see what you're supposed to see when the ball snapped. Yeah. Well, good luck. Uh, grass field, you don't play on grass a whole lot. Did you, as a player, did you like playing on grass fields or not? Oh, uh, that's, I'll tell you what, one, one thing I wish that maybe one day we can get back to everybody going back to natural grass. And I know it's a pain in the butt for, especially us Northern teams up here yeah. to keep that grass in good shape all year. But, uh, there's something about football on the grass that I really, really enjoy. Um, you know, I got I got a little bit spoiled. Uh, most of my pro career, I was on grass in, in you know, uh, Tennessee Titans, Tampa Bay Bucks. Uh, we, we played on grass. Uh, Houston, uh, Houston Texans actually in that dome had grass. So uh, that, that was really nice. And I, I love as a coach being able to get out there and uh, just get on get on the grass. It feels like uh, feels like Little League when I was uh, playing at Sherman Field. So uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of it. Good. Well, great to have great to have you on tonight. Best of luck. Let's go get this one on Saturday. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, Greg. It's time for face-off. They score! It's the face-off! Let's go. Mano Amano. You, me. Right here. Right now. Now, here are your hosts, Greg Sharp and Ben McLaughlin. We're back. Ready for face-off, Ben. This will be fun. Winner take all on this one here tonight. Austin, Tim, nerves level entering this evening. 
<laughs> I think Austin's the nervous one. He was sending me smack talk at 8.30 a.m. this morning. Uh, someone's clearly getting ready to lose. So, Just taking taking a page out of Tim's book. You know, I uh, had some of Michael's secret stuff earlier today. I am locked in. I am ready to go. <laughs> All right. So Greg, Greg made his own determination that the winner of mm-hmm. this plays. Is it you? Me. I'm going to step up. So the winner gets me next week. Well, there we best go. Best of three. Trivia oh, now I'm, I'm, I'm also I'm, I'm, I'm installing a new edict. So both of you be listening here. Mm-hmm. When we ask the question and you buzz in, if you are the first one called, you better have an answer ready or Ben's going to buzz it. You got three <laughs> seconds. Three seconds? Three seconds after you buzz your name. I accept your terms. Sure. <laughs> you don't have a choice because <laughs> that's coming for you. Okay. That's one strike for Tim already <laughs> in the bank. All right. I'm starting. You guys ready? Yes, sir. Ready. All right. The New York Jets are the only winless team in the National Football League. Name the four NFL teams with the worst records last season. Austin. Austin. The Cincinnati Bengals. The Bengals. Okay. I will. Worst record overall at 2-14. and 14. Yeah. All right. I will play it and say uh, the Washington, uh, formerly Redskins, currently a football team. The Washington Redskins, the final year of the Redskins. Yes, sir. They were the second worst by percentage at 3-13. and 13. Two for two. All right. How about the Detroit Lions? The Detroit Lions. Three for three all in a row. Can you cap it off? I have three strikes to get one guess, correct? Yes. Okay. Bad teams. How about we go with the Jets just because they're there? About the New York Jets. Okay. Nope. The hmm. How about the Jacksonville Jaguars? Show me Jacksonville. Uh oh. Pressure time. Thinking back to Tim lurking in the shadows. <laughs> Let's see. Don't fold. <laughs> um the Miami Dolphins. Is it the Miami Dolphins? That's strike three, right? It is not. Steal time. Show me the New York G-Men, the Giants. How about the New York football Giants for the steal? Austin, you named three five-win teams. The Giants were a 4-12 team. Yep. I, I got the first three. I couldn't remember who the fourth pick in the draft was. Danny Dimes. But I did. You did. Congratulations. How's that smack talk feel now, Orman? Feeling just Ooh. fine. Long way to go, boys. Let's, yep, let's yep. pipe down. All right. Ready for question two? Here we go. With the NBA now looking about starting their new season on December 22nd, it would be the first games for eight teams since last March. Can you name four of them? Austin. Jeez. Austin. Austin. All right. The Golden State Warriors. How about Golden State? Yes. The you want to play or pass? I'm going to play it. Three more. Okay. Say the Cleveland Cavaliers. How about Cleveland? Two for two. Only need two more. Okay. The New York Knicks. 
How about the Knicks? Man, three for three. And the Sacramento Kings. How about the Sacramento Kings? How about, let me think. One, that's your first strike. The Atlanta Hawks. Not Atlanta. Got it. Ben, did I get did I get too many easy? Should I made him name all eight? That's cruel well, if I'd have made him name all eight. So. You could you could probably could have done a couple more because a couple of these are pretty easy, like the yeah. the Hornets and the Bulls and the Pistons. But no, the overall, I think it's I feel robbed. Have, have the number one pick, so Austin evens it up. Ben, one piece. Yeah, Tim's a little little hesitant on the on the trigger finger <laughs> after that new rule. I, one of my know, tactics he's... has been stolen out for me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go, boys. Question number three, we're knotted at one. Name the five rookies from the Big Ten Conference to have a rushing or receiving touchdown in the NFL this season. Tim. Tim. Uh, Jonathan Taylor. JT. (laughs) Rushing touchdown for Austin Orman's Indianapolis Colts. Pass or play? Uh. I probably should play this, but I'll, I'll pass it. As I, Austin, let me see if Austin I can sweep out. passing over to you. You need oh four rookies that have a rushing or receiving touchdown that participated in the Big Ten Conference in college. Gosh. Um, okay. And your layup is taken away from you. Correct, it was. Um, K.J. Hamler. Show me K.J. Hamler from Penn State. Scored the game winner for Denver last week, hence the question. That he did, and I have to think about Big Ten rookies again. Big Ten rookies. Well, Saquon is not a rookie, so he is an easy cross off the list, not a guess. Uh, Let's see here. I'll give you kind of a clue. It's not really a clue. I'm I'm putting a kibosh (laughs) on this right now. Well, okay, Just well, let him guess. I'm, I have thrown a flag. My microphone is still open. <laughs> well, for now. All, all of the they're, they're all memorable in some way. It's not just like a random like 46 to 6 scrub that, you know what I mean? They and mean you'll, you'll know this. Yeah, and it's I'll tell you why if clue. If you uh, if you get the answer correct, I'll tell you why. Oh man. Okay. Um Has Rashad Bateman scored a touchdown? Rashad Bateman is still with the oh, Gophers. Oh, that's right. I meant uh, Tyler, uh, the other one. Oh, what's his name? Um, okay, wait. You got you got us. One strike or two? That's that's one. Okay, first yeah, strike. First strong guess. Um, Tyler Johnson. Tyler Johnson. Yes, good pull. Tyler Johnson has scored two touchdowns. Of course, relevant because he's catching passes from one Tom Brady. Tom Brady, right. Man, only needs he had two one. More. I think he's had one in each of the last two weeks. Uh, Big Ten rookies. Let's see, um, two left, two strikes. Well, I want to. Mm, I don't think this guy's a rookie, so I don't want to say him, but he might be. I don't. This is really testing me here. Um. So two, mm, I don't want to give any hints. Um, Ohio State's probably had someone that scored. Um, J.K. Dobbins. How about J.K. Dobbins? 
Boom. Absolutely. J.K. Dobbins scored twice, both in week one. He has not scored since week one. He did have a 100-yard rushing game last week for Baltimore, though. One left. Ben, the uh, the uh, message boards are questioning Tim's decision to pass this right now. It's the big yeah. eight. They're hot. So just as a refresher, I've never actually been around for a past question. Do I have to get this or Tim gets the point, or does he have to guess to get no, it? No, Tim, he's got Tim to get, has to get, he's it, get it right. Okay. Um, let me see here. Okay. You only have one strike. Yeah, but uh, the guys, I don't want to sound stupid guessing is the issue. So oh boy. it's a pride thing. Um, don't worry about looking stupid or sounding stupid. I very much worry about that, but that's okay. Um, I, mm, now this guy's in a rookie... Did, mm, give you, did Paris give Campbell get one before he went down? Paris Campbell? He has a touchdown in his career, but he is not a rookie. That's what I was worried about. Uh, one more. Second-year player. Right. He's been hurt so darn often, it feels like his first season. Uh, we'll give you 30 seconds for your last guess. I say more like five seconds. We'll give you 30 seconds for your last guess. <laughs> it's probably really obvious, and I'm blanking on it. Um, big 10. 10 from a buzz. Rookies. Just buzz me. Nothing's coming to mind. All right, Tim. All right, well, uh, I have a guest lined up. Uh, I know this individual is a rookie. I have no idea what university he attended. So with that in mind, uh, show me Chase Claypool. <laughs> Chase Claypool. Went like to West Notre Virginia. Dame, by the way. That <laughs> yeah, was bad. I had no idea. That's why I passed. Chase Claypool did indeed go to Notre Dame. But he, he, he does lead the year. rookies. Exactly. Uh, all rookies in total touchdowns with he five. Met. Your last one, the, the one that you did not get, Donovan Peoples-Jones ah. caught the game-winning touchdown for the Cleveland Browns a couple of weeks ago. Hmm. That's why his touchdown's memorable. His he name came to mind, quarter. but I forgot he was in the league. I didn't know if he made it or not. Huh. Yep. All right. 2-1 Austin. Here we go. Question four. Beginning of the year for college football, there were six active quarterbacks who had rushed for over 1,000 yards in their careers and thrown for over 4,000, and they include one of those six is Nebraska's own Adrian Martinez. Can you name three of the others? Tim. Tim. Okay, Tim. Go with Justin Fields. How about Justin Fields? About- oh, wow. Austin. Justin Fields, unfortunately, in his one year at Ohio State, did not throw for 4,000 <laughs> yards. Um, oh, that's right. That would be a dumb guess on my part, but not new to those. What about Shea Wirtz? What about Shea Wirtz? Back Shea Wirtz from Georgia Southern, Southern. right? Mm-hmm. Okay, has Mr. Lawrence had two years at Clemson? So would he, that, that would give him probably right there. Let's go with Lawrence. Why not? Trevor Lawrence. Back to Austin. Sam Ellinger. How about Sam Ellinger? That's a good guess. Yeah. All right, Austin, it's yours. You need. Unfortunately, it is mine. Let's. You need uh, two more. What I say, two more. Yeah. Two more. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Starting quarterbacks. Uh, 
Ben giving that buzzer a workout. Yeah, <laughs> my brain's like putty right now. Let me think. My mind's been on other things. Austin's in your head. <laughs> I don't even know if it's. I know there's just Austin's nothing in, in my his head. own head. It's like a monkey and symbols in there right now. There's just not much going on. Let's see. Um, I want to say Jane Daniel, but he's only a freshman. I don't think he hit that in one year, so I'm going to cross him off the list. Um, these are Division One quarterbacks? Yes. Okay. Division One quarterbacks. 4,000, 1,000. Yep. 4,000 passing, 1,000 rushing. Um, who's been around for a while? That's where my brain goes dark. Um, oh, uh, Kellen Mond. How about Kellen Mond? Yeah, Texas A&M. So I need one other one of more. the five. Is that correct? Run, one of the remaining three. One of the remaining three. Okay. There were six total that began the year, including Adrian. And I can't say Adrian because you named him. Bummer. I named him. Yep. Okay. You can, you just may not like the result. Right. So I'm not <laughs> going to, since I, I enjoy positive results more than negative results. Um, <laughs> oh, um, Desmond Ritter. What about Desmond Ritter? Nice pull from Cincinnati. How about that? Austin is up 3-1, Ben. Got him right where I the, want him. The, the other two, Skylar Thompson from K-State and De'Ara King, who now is with Miami, mm. was at Houston beginning his career. I knew it. I couldn't remember Thompson's name, so I, I knew pretty, it was a K-State QB. Uh, Adrian's in pretty good company with that group right there, isn't he? Yeah, not bad. All right, gentlemen, here we go. Husker football time. Last time we did this with you two, it could have gone better. So let's, <laughs> let's shoot for better results. <laughs> Northwestern has beaten Nebraska four times since the Huskers joined the Big Ten Conference. Who were the four Nebraska quarterbacks that started and played in those games? Tim? Tim. Uh, it was Tommy Armstrong for one of them, right? A confident answer for Tim. Yeah, yeah. He tiptoed in Never that. a doubt. Tommy Armstrong was indeed <laughs> one of the losses in 2015. Okay. Uh, then what about um, the other Martinez, Taylor Martinez? How about T-Magic? 2011, that was when Nebraska was ranked ninth, and Northwestern came to Lincoln and beat Nebraska with Kane Coulter. Okay. So then um, I'm thinking that – there was an injury, so would have Riker Fife played in the game against Northwestern? Maybe Riker Fife? That was dumb. Not Riker Fife. Okay, so you said since since Nebraska joined the conference, right? Yes. Okay, so then that would be so we got Tommy, we got you've got 2011 and 2015, Tommy and Taylor. Um, well, I guess what Adrian, right? Another confident answer for Tim? Yes. <laughs> well, it was almost so easy that I was like, wait, I'm going to make sure I'm not forgetting Maybe. this. Maybe. Adrian Martinez, 2018, <laughs> on the road in Evanston. Huskers lose in overtime. One left. All right, so we got Adrian, got Tommy. It wasn't Riker. 
And of course, uh, Ron Kelly III was the savior, so he was not on that either. Um, who would have been... Would have been uh, not Zach Lee, but uh, Tanner Lee. About Tanner Lee. Yes, Good sir. Job. 2017. Well go. done. All right, Tim. Way He's to back go. back in the game. 3-2 Austin with the lead. Austin needs one more to close. Is it 3-2 or 2-2? No, 3-2. 3-2. 3-2. Question six. With the Pac-12 starting play this week, that means there will be a Rose Bowl this January. Name the last four teams from that league to play in the game. Austin. Austin. Uh, USC. How about USC? Yes, they did. 2017. All right. Um, Pass or play? I will play it. Um, let me think here. How about Utah? Give me the Utes. Uh, I think here. So that was 17, correct, uh-huh. for USC? Uh, let me think here. 2016. How about Washington State? How about the Cougars? Uh-oh. Two strikes. Still need three more answers. Oregon. Give me the Ducks. Yep. Last year. They played in the Rose Bowl. And we're beat Wisconsin. Yeah. Right. So I've got USC. I've got Oregon. Let me think here. Washington. How about the Huskies? Yep. 2019 they played in the game. All right, so one more with one strike, is that right? Yes. Okay. Yes, with Tim ready to pounce. That's right. So I've got 17, 18, and 19, is that correct? You have 17, 19, and 20. 17, 19, and 20, so I'm looking for 18. 18, I think here. <laughs> it's been seven seconds. They're just counting. Well, I'm between two. That's good. Say one of them. <laughs> I hope it's the right one. I'm afraid it's not. Any, meeny, miny, mo. How about... I say Stanford. How about the Stanford Cardinal? For the win. Dang it. There we go. I had that ready to pounce. advances. Actually, Austin, it wasn't 2018. 2018, the Rose Bowl was a playoff site, and it was two non-Pac-12 teams. Mm. It was Stanford, Christian McCaffrey against the Iowa Hawkeyes. I knew that. I was thinking they were in there somewhere, but if it wasn't 18, I forgot about that, but now it rings a bell, so I'm glad I flipped the coin the right way. Well, congratulations. Austin moves on. He's down defeated Josh and Tim. I'm next. I'm coming next. I don't know who's more ready. Tim, it was a valiant effort. I'm surprised you took it to a third match. 
The, um, the system. Oh, how dare you? First of all, the, the system is a fraud. There will be a recount. Oh, we will litigate this in the courts. I and still maintain have... Tim didn't win last week. I choked last week. He gets no. He derives no pleasure from it. Oh, I do. I, that was to see Austin's like state of shock after I beat him was the best part of sports unlike, time in a long time. Unlike another election, Tim's um, appeal has been denied. <laughs> and the review board has denied the appeal in a quick and exciting manner. So we can look forward to a Greg Austin matchup next week. Not Can't Greg wait. Austin, but Greg and Austin. So yeah, there you Greg go. Greg and Austin. Yes. Yeah. Not going to get the Husker offensive line coach to come in and play. He's a little busy on Thursday nights. But that was fun. Good stuff. Questions were fair, weren't they, boys? Entirely and perfectly. Um, yeah. Uh, we'll be t- you'll be hearing from my attorney. <laughs> oh, God. I'm a huge fan of my uh, Big Ten rookies question. I thought that was a good yeah. question. That, that was, was a very good, good. Very, very good. Nothing good on TV anymore? Struggling to find something to watch? There's no crying in baseball! Well, we've got you covered. I'm going to make him an offer he can refuse. All right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. It's time now for Sports Nightly Flicks Picks. And action! All right, what's been on everybody's screens, Ben? Yeah, my wife and I has, have found out that uh, one of our all-time favorite shows is coming, except for the final season, is coming back for another season to right the wrong of maybe the worst season finale series finale ever made and that's dexter uh so we've went back and started over from season one on dexter because it's been so long since we've watched the show uh to get caught up for the new season so we'll see what they're up to next interesting show dark show twisted show but very entertaining as well so how long has it been gone oh it's been years Uh, yeah probably four four years years, i would say yeah yeah okay tim uh, yeah, I'm still kind of on a on a Halloween uh, kind of bend here, and um, after the kind of the bad taste that the haunting of Bly Manor left in my mouth, with it kind of fizzling out um, into nothing, I decided to check out the original haunting show, The Haunting of Hill House, which I've been assured is much better. Uh, and thus far, two episodes in, uh, I am I'm been pleasantly surprised. I I am a fan of the director Mike Flanagan. He also uh, was a director of a movie I recommended a while back, Dr. Sleep, which is a sequel to The Shining, which managed to actually be decent as a sequel to a horror classic. So um, I've got to make my way through that. But The Haunting of, uh, of Hill House is much better um, in terms of the performances, in terms of uh, producing kind of an atmospheric creepiness and also kind of producing scares. The Haunting of Bly Manor just kind of piddled out, uh, for lack of a better word, over the course of several episodes. So I was, I was not impressed by that. But The, the Haunting of Hill... Uh, house is has been much better thus far which i am glad to report cool good brett brett have anything for us tonight or is he out brett just brett's just shaking his head solemnly yeah all right well i i caught up with a movie that came out in 2011 last weekend and it uh it came up for some awards it was called the iron lady it was a portrayal of margaret uh, maggie thatcher the first female prime minister of great britain meryl streep portrayed her Here's a little taste. Mrs. Thatcher, one simply has to make you look and sound like the leader that you could be. No matter how I've tried, I know I will never be truly one of them. Someone must say the unsayable. Methinks the lady doth screech too much! It, uh, Street plays Thatcher late in life, and she's reflecting back on her life. Her husband has already passed away, and she's trying to 
trying to put away his things from their apartment, and so she keeps going back in time to real life when uh, she was making her move up the political ladder in Great Britain. Streep is really good in this. The movie missed on some marks. It wasn't bad. It wasn't great. It was kind of just down the middle. I think that's the way a lot of the critics viewed it as well. I'm a history buff, so I really enjoyed kind of going back and reliving her career and her climb of the ladder to become, again, that first female prime minister of Great Britain. So the Iron Lady was what I took in here over the week. All right, that's going to put a wrap on tonight's show. Fun show. Congrats to Austin, the winner of our face-off. I'll get ready to tangle with Austin starting next Thursday night. That'll be fun to be able to do that. I'll join Ben tomorrow night from Chicago for a segment. Huskers traveling that way for the 11 a.m. kickoff on Saturday with the pregame coverage here on the network at 6 a.m. for the opening drive. That'll be fun. 